Welcome to the Hot Topics in EMS podcast. I'm Battalion Chief Ben Kaufman in Montgomery County, Maryland. And today we are joined with three esteemed physicians from USACS. Uh, we're staffing Holy Cross Hospital. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Holly Mears. I would like you to introduce yourself and your team, please. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us, Ben. It is our honor um, to be on uh, the podcast with you. I'm Holly Mears. I'm an emergency physician. I've been at Holy Cross for many years and have been working with Montgomery County Medics and happy to have that relationship. Um, I am um, an emergency physician, but also the IEC director at Holy Cross. And then I have a couple of my great team members on board. Uh, Dr. Uh, Bev Naiman, who works in the pediatric emergency department. And Bev, I'll let you go on and uh, tell a little bit about yourself. Okay, uh, I'm thank you for having me on. Um, I am Dr. Beverly Naiman. I am a, a pediatric emergency physician. I've been at Holy Cross for uh, 20 years. And we're also lucky to have Dr. Ann Price join us as well, who's another emergency physician. And um, I'll let Ann have, say a word. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I work at both uh, Holy Cross in Germantown and um, Silver Spring. Um, Holy Cross is my first job out of my residency. I've been there for about five and a half to six years now. And uh, I'm actually an ex-volunteer uh, at BCC Rescue Squad. I'm a life member there. So I am very partial to um, Montgomery County medics or just medics in general and people who bring in our patients. Well, thank you guys very much for joining. Uh, I wanted to uh, assemble a group of people to talk about what we're what we're seeing from the ED side with respect to opiate overdoses. Uh, we're uh, by any measure in the middle of a crisis with opiates in Montgomery County. Uh, we've had a steady caseload of, of very very sick people that we're seeing in the field. Uh, we're giving Narcan uh, several times a day, and just in the last few weeks, I've felt like the acuity on these cases are higher. There seems to be some other physiologic things that are happening in addition to your typical uh, somebody OD'd on heroin and we give Narcan and they wake up and then they're fine. There's other things happening. In addition, it's got some press in the last month or so because the patient population seems to be getting younger. Uh, we've run several teenagers at high schools uh, oftentimes who have OD'd often unknowingly and, you know, when we wake them up and take them to the hospital, they thought, you know, they were taking something that they had no idea what, what was in it, right? So uh, there was this one case recently where we uh, transported to Holy Cross. And then uh, while we were still there, you know, had transferred care, we were writing the report. And then the medics reported that the patient kind of unexpectedly had this cardiovascular collapse encoded in the ER. Um, so a really loose conversation here. Just want to get from your side of, you know, I know that you're seeing a lot of these patients, not just brought in by EMS, but in general, both at uh, Silver Spring and Germantown. Uh, I want to hear from your experience and then kind of validate what we're seeing and talk through this from the physician side a little bit. Well, thank you so much again for bringing this up. It has been alarming to see the age of these overdoses just start to drop one year after another. Um, and it's just amazing to see these young children come in um, to your point, I think that when they're using some of these drugs, that's not the intended use. Um, they may be thinking they're going to smoke some marijuana or take a Percocet or, I mean, I don't know exactly what they think they're signing up for, but an overdose, I don't think is um, what they're signing up for. Then another sort of subgroup that I've seen is kids who have sort of gotten 
maybe that's not what they intended or they thought they were going to get a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but then they're full-blown addicted to opiate and then having patient families not understand. I, I think the resources for substance abuse and opioid um, dependency for these ages is very difficult to come by. And I, I really feel for patients and families on what to do and it's just trying to educate. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of these families never dreamt that their teenager was going to be hooked on opiates. Is it legal or illegal? What, what are they getting a hold of here? The students who have admitted to um, doing stuff have mostly been telling me that they're getting perks or blues, um, which I think are um, most, I think we're seeing a large amount of the synthetic um, fentanyl sort of being put into them. They're not the true, they're not true prescription drugs. They're sort of street drugs. And I know that um, I was just reading that the DEA lab said that they are testing um, and between 2021, where four out of 10 of the synthetic stuff had fentanyl in them. This, year, this last year, 2022, it's like gone up to like six out of 10. So I think a lot of times they think they're taking perks, but they're actually getting fentanyl in the drugs. In, in varied amounts, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, it, it's laced, so it could be anywhere from like, you know, um, like nothing that will make an effect to a lethal dose. So, yeah. I think that's what's, you know, you try, I try to impress upon the patients that I deal with that, you know, this is not some FDA approved process. Even if you think you're getting some sort of fentanyl, you don't really know what you're getting. And it's just Russian roulette that, you know, the drug dealer is not doing things with precision. And, you know, one thing you might try at one time and you know, you may just have a high and the second time you're overdosing. And so I think I really try to press that point that you just really don't know what you're getting. And additionally, I think it's, I'll understand from a business perspective, while the drug dealers are overdosing these people, I mean, they're like killing their consumers <laughs> and it just doesn't make any sense at all. So the right. drugs are, the drugs are there. It's called, they're called blue perk thirties. And I've actually seen them in Silver Spring. A guy came in who overdosed. Um, he was actually came in from a PG medic and he, uh, he had some in his pocket. So they're about the size of a baby aspirin. They have an, an, a capital M on one side that's sort of um, outlined with a, uh, a rounded corner square. On the other side, it's a scored pill with a 30 on the top and then the score. Clearly looks like somebody did it in their basement, um, pressed these things. Um, but they're definitely, um, I, I know I handed some of them to our Leo and he identified them and they are definitely fentanyl. There's fentanyl in them. Who knows what analog of fentanyl or what synthetic, you know, I mean, fentanyl is synthetic itself, but who knows what's in these things. And it probably could change from day to day or whoever's, you know, manufacturing them or. Have, have any of you taken care of somebody that's then uh, that has uh, symptoms of something other than an opiate overdose? Like there maybe there's something else in whatever is in these pills. Obviously, we don't know what's in them, but are people getting worse unexpectedly, I guess? I don't know if necessarily they're getting worse, but seeing things where Narcan's not necessarily working. Or, and then you think, you know, is it the benzo, you know, on top of things um, or some other substance that doesn't react to the Narcan? But I have, I mean, I, I guess Beverly had somebody who with a flash pulmonary edema. I have not, I mean, I've seen it before, but I recently, I haven't seen 
seen that. So I don't know if she wants to. I, I had a, a, a 16 or 17 year old young man who came in basically and his um, initial pulse ox was I think 65%. Um, which we, we, you know, we almost didn't believe when he came in, but we put him on our own monitor and he was at that point in time. And yeah, he did develop a pulmonary edema. His x-ray looked just like pulmonary edema. And we ended up having to put him on a BiPAP because even with high flow, we couldn't get his uh, oxygen level up. And he got transferred down to Children's Hospital. Do we know what he took? He told me he took perks. That's what he told me. So do you think that's something else in there or is there, you know, and I'm starting to hear like, well, people are having this pulmonary edema because of Narcan, or is it a side effect of the opiate or any idea? I think they're not sure. I don't, yeah. I don't know if the, you know, I know that there was a theory that like, oh, if you, if they were apneic and then you Narcan them, they're basically going to take a big deep breath against a closed glottis. And this can cause this, you know, these pressure changes that cause this pulmonary edema. But I don't know if that's actually uh, been proven you know, there's also aspiration risk. So I don't, you know, it's probably multifactorial, so, you know, some um, sympathomimetic surge, you know, just all kinds of things are, you know, going on with these drugs. Anything specific with the age group, maybe that? I know this because this girl that brought in that original guy with the uh, blue perk 30s in his pocket, she had told me, and this was, she's a PG County medic, that she ran a call the previous week where kids in middle school, so I guess that makes them like 13, 14, were vaping. So they are sharing, there was like five kids involved that were overdosed and they they were vaping this stuff. And so, you know, that sort of bypasses all that, you know, first pass metabolism and, and you know, sort of, so I, it's the fact that they're even like taking a pill watering it down or dissolving it, putting it in their vape pens and then sharing it is just like blows my mind. You know, that can definitely cause a much stronger and maybe more uh, instant reaction to it. And that's what I've heard is like they're smoking it. And I don't know, I didn't ask specifically whether they're putting it, you know, rolling something up or putting it in a vape mechanism. But, you know, I, I asked, how are you taking it? And because I was, I'm always curious to see if they're uh, doing IV drug use, because then that opens up just more sort of spread of disease. But, but they just say, I, I'm smoking. I smoked it. But again, the exact way, I'm not sure. Wow, yeah, that's scary. It is scary. And it's funny because they comment like, well, I thought I was smoking perks. And it's like, well, smoking perks is really super bad by itself you know, like, oh, I didn't know it's fentanyl, you know, it's like, what, how do you even, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy. Like, like, oh, smoking perks are okay, but you know, you may not be getting the pure perks that you think you were getting. I don't know. It's just really out of control. Well, I think too, just as a mother, I mean, taking my hat off, but my putting the hat of me being a mother, it's just, I had to have the whole Narcan chat with my child and I've always wondered, like, should I have Narcan at my house? I mean, do I need, is this one of those things that you need an EpiPen, you know, or do you need, what do you need to arm yourself in order to make sure nothing terrible happens? Or if something terrible happens, you're ready to respond to it. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, not to get too much into the public health side of things, but the fire department is partnered with HHS and we're distributing leave behind Narcan kits on, you know, every time we have the opportunity. So every Every case we run, whether we transport or not, but certainly when we're not transporting, we want to leave uh, uh, leave a couple of doses of Narcan at the house uh, with 
whoever is you know refusing transport which kind of leads me into the next question here is because these cases seem a little bit more complicated right now are there more medical concerns for us accepting a high risk refusal from somebody that we resuscitated you know revived after narcan what are your what are your guys worries with us doing that i mean i think these drugs are so strong we don't really know it's one thing if you knew exactly what you're dealing with you could maybe have some sort of prediction but it's so unpredictable that you don't know what you're dealing with. If I were in your shoes, I think I would try to delay. If there's someone's refusing, I would try to delay as long as possible. And I don't know what your protocols are to swing back by. I think these young children too, if we're talking about this younger population are so afraid of getting into trouble that they don't understand the consequences. It's better to be in trouble and be alive than, you know, end up dead. They can't, they can't judge what to do. And, and the other issue, of course, is that the half-life of fentanyl, um, if you have a drug that's contaminated with fentanyl, is actually much longer than the half-life of naloxone. So depending on the dose, um, it is easily possible that the naloxone is going to wear off before the fentanyl um, does. And if it's at a respiratory depression level, they may end up going down again. Yeah. I was looking at my little um, wiki EM that I use all the time for different things. And it sort of mapped out um, like a, an appropriate observation period for different um, opioids. Uh, so they said like for strict heroin overdose, a one to two hour after getting Narcan is appropriate for not anything non-heroin, excluding methadone, which is, has the longest observation period, uh, should be four to six hour observation. Um, so you guys, you know, when you resuscitate somebody on the scene and then they wake up and then they're nasty and refuse, you know, they have another six hours of observation that potentially they could be in trouble during that time. And then the methadone is like, it just has 12 to 24 hour observation uh, with methadone overdoses. So yeah, there's a huge risk because I think it's all based on the assumption that they can sign off is sort of based on a heroin and that's excluding all these other longer acting opioids and synthetic opioids and analogs. As a student, I wrote in Baltimore and DC, heroin was very prevalent and it was a regular occurrence for us to resuscitate somebody who was hypomentilating or abnick in the field and not transport. Uh, but this was in the 90s and it, it's not yeah. the same picture anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. That needs to be looked at that. Maybe that's, it's just not something that you can do, but I don't know how you, you know, you can't. Your guys are in a terrible situation. Yeah. yeah. I, I think too, if there was another person there, I think I, if, if I were in their shoes to try to have, try to explain it, I don't know that people really get it. They, I think when they're starting to use drugs, they already have some, some sort of concept that they are impervious to disaster, but even they just had, they just had disaster occur, you know, they, they just don't, the judgment's just not there. Yeah. Sure. What else uh, from your seats in the ER would you like EMS to know about these cases, honestly, anything. I've been happy to have you guys on, on talking with us. Is there anything that you know, maybe we don't know from your side that is super helpful for us to know? One thing, and I, I had this from a DC uh, medic, bilateral pinpoint pupils can also be a basal or stroke, just off the cuff. So if you have someone who's altered and Narcan's not working, that's another thing to think about. Maybe someone who's a little bit older that's a great point. Yeah. Um, are you at all concerned of us maybe indiscriminately giving Narcan or the public giving Narcan yeah. when it, it's not necessarily indicated? Are there any dangers to that? 
No, that's what I, I just, I think just trying to press upon the public that there's no harm in giving Narcan, even if it's not perfect, you know, the only mistake in my opinion is not giving it. Another sort of just like public service announcement, although it may be uncomfortable to withdraw from an opiate, it will not kill you. And I think that, you know, if that's, I try to talk to patients and families about that saying, you know, I know this is terrible, but if you could get through this, you could be on the other side and feel better um, to try to press that. Whereas some drugs, there is a risk, you know, withdrawal from alcohol. I mean, uh, benzos, I mean, there's other things that can't, you really need help trying to get off the medication. But, um, you know, with this sort of substance, it will not kill you. It may be uncomfortable, but it's not deadly. What do you think about titrating dosing? Because this, this I think, dates back to paramedic school a little bit, like only give enough to get them to start breathing again, but don't wake them up all the way. And the fear is that people will be, uh, you know, violent or come after us for killing their high, whatever. But, but I can tell you that I haven't ever seen that. I wake somebody up completely, probably more than waking up uh, opiate overdoses, waking up a uh, uh, hypoglycemic diabetic that people are, people are upset from, from that experience as well. I don't know if you guys have any opinion on that. Yeah, I Titrating maybe would be more appropriate for in the emergency department where we have, you know, close monitoring, not that you're not monitoring them closely. Um, but yeah, I would err on the side of waking them up fully versus, uh, versus trying to, you know, titrate. I think that's a slippery slope of if you don't catch, you know, because you're working with someone who's going to be a little tunded at that point still, um, may be a little difficult to to, um, to to catch if they're gonna sort of go back down. I mean, it's probably easier to wake them up. You know, they're awake, they're breathing, they're looking at you, they're talking. I think that just for, for simplicity's sake, that that would be the best way to go. Great. Uh, how about Suboxone? You guys doing that in the ER? I have not. I know that's sort of one of the waves of the future. Um, but I have not. Yeah, I don't, you have to, I know that um, we had two providers who are no longer at our hospital who took the class to um, prescribe that. And I don't think either one of them really, you know, I didn't see them using a lot. So I don't, I don't know. I don't really know much about that. Uh, it's a proposal uh, to, in the protocols for this coming year for EMS. Um, so not necessarily us uh, re responding to a call and giving it directly but more from the side of our uh, MIH teams, our mobile integrated health. So we can make a referral for, for MIH uh, personnel to come out and actually prescribe it and give it with a standing order. Does that include pediatric patients? I'm not, I haven't dug into the protocol yet. It, it's, still, uh, it's still in draft form, but it's supposed to come through July this year. I think the X waiver there, that's now... I think getting dropped, I haven't studied it. I think it's something that's new maybe this year. So it's something I think that we're all going to need to explore um, from all different facets, no matter what part of healthcare you work in. Yeah. All right. Anything else, guys? No, thank you, Ben. We appreciate uh, the invitation yeah. and um, that's fun. And we'll be happy to chat with anything else you want to talk about. Guys, I very much appreciate you uh, joining and sharing your expertise with us. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah.